and we will get a Bible to you, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. Colossians 1, where we leave off? 19. All right, 19? Is that right? I think I may need to go back and get a running start. We'll see. We'll see. Let's pray. Lord, we, we're just so grateful. Um, number one, to be your kiddos, to be your children. It's all because of you, Jesus, and what you've done, who you are and what you've done. And we want to say thank you this morning with not just our lips, but to honor you with our lives, to give you the thanks and praise that um, you're so deserving of, you're worthy. And we declare that this morning, your worth, as we worship you in song, and now as we work, continue to worship you, as we open your word and as we desire to know you more and to, to know um, Lord, more about you, to grow in, our, in grace and the knowledge of you. So help us this morning. Teach us. Minister to our hearts. You know exactly what we need to hear. And so would you meet with us in a special way and by the power of your spirit, change us, transform us. A fresh work of your spirit is what we desire. And we thank you for all that you're going to do. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people that he's never met before. This was one of those churches in Colossae that that Paul did not plant. He didn't pastor there. Um, But he got word of the condition of the church by this dude named Epaphras. Remember, it's probably Epaphras was the one who um, started the church, planted it, and pastored the church. And Eventually, Epaphras came to the Apostle Paul while Paul was in Rome. And what was Paul doing in Rome? He was, he was in prison. Paul was in prison, in chains in Rome. And Epaphras came to him and said, dude, you would not believe the amazing... He didn't say dude, by the way. He said, you would not believe the amazing work of God's Spirit that's going on in the church of Colossae. The church is awesome. They are, they are noted by their faith, their love, their hope. They're growing in those three simple components, those spiritual uh, components, uh, faith in Jesus Christ, love for one another, hope in God's promises, hope in heaven. And, and he began to share with Paul all the amazing things God was doing. And Paul was super grateful um, for them. In fact, so grateful for them that he writes this letter. But Epaphras shared something else with Paul. And he told Paul, there's a problem going on in Colossae. There's heretics. There's false teaching that is creeping into the church. And there's lots of false teaching blowing around. Lots of winds of doctrine blowing around. And some are blowing through the church. And some are sticking with some of the people. And so Paul is concerned about their spiritual health. And we're going to see that as we work our way through this letter together. And remember, Paul prayed for the church in chapter 1. And then he immediately, as he he ended this prayer, he just one thought led to another. And he began to talk about Jesus. And Jesus, the person of who he is, 
of his work for us, the greatness of Jesus Christ and his work for us. You guys may remember that last week. Um, in fact, I am going to pick up and we, we finished in verse 19. I'm going to move back to, uh, how about verse 16? For by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, through Jesus and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So Jesus is creator, he is sustainer, and you and I were created for him, a relationship with him, and he is the head of the body. What is the body? The church who is the beginning, he's the preeminent one, the first born from the dead. He was the first to rise from the dead, never to die again, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Amen to that, you guys? That's kind of an amenable spot. It's kind of like when uh, Altuve goes deep, what happens? Whatever. Don't, it's exciting, isn't it? I love that dude. Altuve goes deep. It's like the place erupts. How much greater is Jesus than Altuve? And I love Altuve. Did I mention that already? I like that dude. (laughs) But Jesus is so much greater. Look who he is. Look what he's done. We should be going, oh, God, thank you. You are awesome. And maybe it is joy unspeakable, maybe this morning for you. It should leave us in awe of who he is. And he goes on, he says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so verse 19, it made the Father, it made God the Father very, very happy that in Jesus, all the fullness, it speaks of the totality of divine powers and attributes, is the idea, um, would reside permanently forever in who? In Jesus. In fact, if you flip forward to chapter two real quick with me, I think this is important because Paul picks up on this theme again. It speaks of all the fullness of deity in Jesus. Jesus is God. He's the Son of God and God the Son. And it says in verse 9 of chapter 2, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then just take note of this. And you are complete in him. Is that good news this morning? All the fullness of deity in Jesus. And not only that, you are complete. So don't let anyone tell you that you are incomplete. In Christ, being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, belonging to him, listen, you've got everything you need. Do you know that this morning? He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And Paul's bringing that point up. Why? Because these false teachers were saying, well, you're, you're almost there. There's a few things you're lacking. There's a few things you need. And it was all about you don't have the fullness We've got some mysteries. We've got some special teachings that if you don't get them from us, you're going to be missing out. And the problem is you are complete in Christ Jesus. That's beautiful. And so all the fullness of deity is in Jesus. In other words, the fullness means the total package. 
For me, Altuve, total package player. Jesus, total package is Jesus Christ. Are you with me? That's the idea of fullness. And then he goes on by him, by Jesus, to reconcile, means to bring back together everything, all things, to himself. So everything being reconciled to God by Jesus, whether things on the planet or things in the heavenlies, having made peace. Jesus made peace how? Look what it says, through the blood of his cross, by his sacrificial death on the cross at Calvary. He has made peace possible for every single human being. Sin jacked up everything. Sin damaged everything all the way back in the beginning. And sin still damages everything, correct? And God has provided for us the solution, our greatest need. Number one, the forgiveness of sins, that we might be brought into a right relationship with God because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no peace apart from Jesus Christ. There is no reconciliation apart from Jesus Christ. By the way, there's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And there's no salvation apart from the cross either. It's by the blood of his cross. And this morning, I would say, listen, if you're, if you're not reconciled to someone, then you know what? Maybe, maybe, there's a, maybe you're leaving the cross out. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow him, to do what? To deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily, deny of, denial of ourself, death to the self. The problem is our self, isn't it? Selfishness. By pride, by pride or selfishness comes nothing but strife, nothing but problems. And maybe you're not willing to what? To take a slice of humble pie and say, I want to be reconciled in this relationship. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please pray for me. Isn't that the hardest thing for us to say? Especially those closest to us, I was wrong. It's like, we can't, I can't say this. You say that, you, you, you know what's going to happen? God's going to work in a powerful way. You own it. And so no reconciliation, no cross, no reconciliation, no salvation. Listen, we got everything in Jesus because of who he is and what he has done. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's keep rolling. Uh, and by the way, God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 teaches us that. So that as Christians, we should be helping others be reconciled to God. Are you with me? We have the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is his word, bringing people back to the word of God to help them to see clearly. Well, we'll talk about that more in just a moment. And so Paul says in verse 21, look what he writes. He says to them, and you... And we, you can put your own name right in there. I can put my name in there. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you, how? Holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. One hallelujah. That's good. All right. We'll take that this morning. Is that good news this morning? This is glorious. He reminds, listen, don't forget where you came from. Paul's saying, don't forget where you came from. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a really good person that's getting gooder and gooder. A wretch like me. I was a mess. And he talks about it. And you who were once alien, what does it mean to be alienated? separated 
isolate, like a leper. You, were, you and I were isolated from God, apart from him. No fellowship, no connection, no intimacy. At one time, you were estranged. There was a wedge between you and God. And it wasn't, listen, it wasn't from God's end. When we talk about reconciliation, let me step back for just a second on reconciliation. When we talk about reconciliation, think about if you have like multiple kids and they're, they fight. That never happened in my home. I just hear about it. And you want to reconcile them, right? It's like, okay, you come here and meet in the middle and you come over here and meet in the middle and we'll have some reconciliation. You say sorry, you say sorry, and we'll have some reconciliation. Some of your parents, you know what I'm talking about? Listen, that, that didn't happen with us and God. He did everything. He came to us. He reached out to us. We were the ones who were enemies, and that word enemy means hateful, spiteful. We were enemies in our minds in opposition to God, not only in our minds, but look what it says, enemies in your mind by wicked works. The e- so he speaks of the evil that was flowing forth from our lives. He says the evil that you were once engaged in demonstrated that you were in opposition to God in your mind, the works you were doing, what was going on upstairs. I mean, think about it. Do you remember when you got sa- before you got saved? What was going on upstairs was being played out in our lives, wasn't it? Living after the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We acted upon our imaginations, those, those wicked things in our heads. We tried to fulfill those desires. And so Jesus reconciled us. We didn't reconcile ourselves. We simply put our faith and trust in him. He went the full way. He went the whole way. And through Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. And not just that, you are now connected to God. And the only answer to being separated from God and being connected to him, from not being alienated, from not being separate to have peace is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through except through me. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one mediator that brings reconciliation, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're no longer separated. We're no longer at war. We're now connected to God, right? We're under, are you under new management this morning? We're under new management. How did Jesus do it? Look at verse 22. In the body of his flesh, by giving his life. Jesus, this is so important, because the false teachings that were going on at that time were saying Jesus did not come and take a body. He was a spirit. He was like a, a, a Casper or a ghost. Casper the ghost. You guys remember Casper? Remember? Who, who's Casper? Google it. He, a ghost. Jesus did not come as a ghost. In fact, remember when he walked on water? You guys remember that? Storm 102, right? He, he was walking on water. And what were the guys in the boat saying? Ah, it's a ghost. And what did Jesus say? No, it's me. He's not a ghost. He said it himself. In fact, I love what it says in Hebrews. If you're taking notes, Hebrews, uh, I think it's in Hebrews. Hebrews 10. Father and son, privy to a father and son conversation. Hebrews 10.5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, 
oh God. And then remember when Jesus rose again from the dead, right? Doubting Thomas. He, t- he said, check, out, check me out, touch me. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. And so Jesus came. He took a body. And he's risen in a body, bodily. And so very important, Paul's making that point. He gave his life for us by dying on the cross. Jesus suffered, died, and was buried, and rose again on the third day. And Jesus' sacrifice, please listen, makes reconciliation possible between God and man. And since he is alive, look at the next part of this verse, he is able to do what? To present you holy. One day Jesus... and. and To present means to stand beside and to exhibit or to show. One day Jesus will stand beside you. I mean, positionally we have have right standing before God. Our sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. But one day this is going to be a reality. It tells us in Jude chapter 24, if you're taking notes, you can check it out later, that Jesus will one day present us faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Hebrews 12, you guys remember? He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy of presenting you and me holy before the Father. Saying, this one belongs to me, Dad. So awesome. Presented holy, blameless, no spots, no blemishes. We got a few of those, don't we? Like zits, that's blemishes. Above reproach, not guilty, innocent, in his sight. And so Paul reminds us of our glorious future. He reminds us of what happened in the past, what we once were. And then look at presently, it's the big if this morning. So he says, we're rocking, yeah, this is awesome, I can't wait. And then look what he says in the next verse. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he says what? If indeed you continue in the faith. That's interesting, isn't it? Listen, I take God's word as God's word at face value. What does God require of you and me? It's to continue in the faith, to keep trusting in Jesus Christ. Well, wait a minute, pastor. Once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. What about those things? Listen, I've been studying the Bible for over 20 years, and I still haven't found those phrases in the Bible yet. Here... And here's what I do know. The only safe, secure place that you can be is abiding in Jesus Christ. Outside of that, I don't care how you wrangle the scriptures and twist them. Outside of that, there is no security and no safety if you are not abiding in Jesus Christ. That is the one thing I do know. And the Bible tells us on three different occasions in the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. In other words, it's not just a one-time, oh yeah, I gave my life to Jesus. It's you continue to live by faith. By tr- Are you with me this morning? That's what, the, that's what the book says. Like, I'm not trying to like wrangle with some of your, you know, your theology or whatever. That's just what the book says, man. And a lot of people take these verses, and you know what they do? They twist them. I mean, good teachers, good, 
good commentators, good teachers, they take verses like this and twist it to make, something, to make it say something it doesn't say. And I looked it up in about 12 different translations, and it's always the same every single time. You need to continue. You need to continue to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons, guess what? That's one of the reasons why John wrote his first epistle. 1 John 5, 13. Not only that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have eternal life, but that you would continue to believe, to keep trusting in him. To remain what? To remain grounded. That means don't retreat. You hold your ground. You're firmly settled. You're firmly established. Steadfast means you're dug in. You're seated is the idea. Not moved away. Not reversing course from the hope of the gospel. Is our hope, our hope is, is absolutely sure. It's the absolute expectation of good, amen? amen? Because of what Jesus has done, who he is and what he's done. Does he keep his promises? Yes. He keeps his promises. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Real simple. Do you have the son this morning? And I guarantee I'll get some people that will probably email me or maybe when they hit, not here, on the radio or wherever. And if you want to email me, michaelmetter at wahoo.com. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have to stand before the Lord and give an account for what I do with his word. And it's like, you know what, I'm not going to monkey with it. Heavy, wor- he- heavy words for those that twist the scriptures and jack up the scriptures. And so, very important. You heard, he says, don't be moved away from the hope that you have. You heard the gospel. You heard the good news. You listened. You appropriated. You had ears to hear what the Spirit was saying. You responded. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the... Well, I'm, str- I'm struggling in my faith, Mike. I'm really struggling. And... I, don't, I want to continue in the faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You know what I would counsel you or share with you? Guess what you need to do? Spend time in your, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Spend some time in the word with the Lord, pray. And you start to, see, you start to learn about the Lord, his faithfulness, his goodness, his care, his promises. And you begin to meditate on his attributes. And it's like, wow, this is the God that I belong to. This is my father. This is amazing. He did it all. It's by his grace. All he's asking of you and me is to simply trust him. To walk by faith. To say, okay, Lord, I trust you. Things are looking gnarly. I trust you. Because you're working all things together for good. You've begun a good work in me. Lord, you said it's going to be difficult right up front. Those that have chosen the narrow way that leads to eternal life, you said it's difficult, but you're with me the whole way. I'm never alone. In fact, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, the mystery. Let's check it out. Keep rolling. So you heard the gospel, which was preached. Isn't this interesting? The gospel had been proclaimed to every, at this time, Paul says, to every creature under heaven on planet earth. Can you imagine that? You think Paul's just kind of make, like kind of exaggerating? I don't think he's exa- exaggerating here. I think the gospel went out, like it says. Amen. And not everyone receives the good news. There's some people that reject the good news. This is without TV. This is without internet. I mean, what a challenge to us, isn't it? It's like if they didn't have any of that and the gospel, no radio, no, no cell phones. 
No Facebook. I got a Facebook ministry, man. <laughs> no Facebook ministry. No Twitter, Twitter, whatever. <laughs> and Paul says, of which I, speaking of the gospel, became a minister. And, you know, when we see minister, it used to be like a, a term, oh, he's the minister, and, you know, you must be careful around it. You know what minister means? Who knows what minister means? Thank you. Servant. It literally means to kick up dust because you're moving so quickly. Did you guys catch that? We get deacon from this word, diakonia. So Paul says, I've become a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A servant also lives to make other people's lives better. The word also means waiter, means to deliver food to someone is the idea, or beverage. And I, you know what I find interesting about this verse? Just a simple application. Paul was in a hurry to share the gospel with people. Like kicking up dust. You know why? Because he cared about people. He cared about souls. He wanted to see people get rescued, to be rescued from hell. And to have the hope of eternity, to know Jesus Christ personally. Listen, time is ticking. And I would say a couple things. The gospel, number one, is meant to be shared with others. God use, who does God use to reach the lost? Who does God use to reach the lost? The few, the proud, the spiritual marines? Or who? Uses us, knuckleheads. The, the foolish, the base things, right? He uses us. Some of us with two brain cells left. Some of us with no education, but there are a few with, with lots of education. That's okay. Not many, Paul said, are wise. That doesn't mean not any. But by and large, it's a group of misfits. I mean, who did Jesus choose to turn the world right side up? Theologians? Bible college? Guys with PhDs? Bunch of letters behind their names? Fishermen? Tax collector? IRS guys? How do you feel about the IRS, by the way? How about, how about Simon the Zealot? You ever wonder what a zealot is? That's a terrorist. Seriously, they were, they were against the Romans, killing Romans. They were terrorists of the day. So you got fishermen, terrorists, tax collectors. I mean, think about this group, a motley crew, correct? So that the world would look and say, wow, look what God can do through these people. Look what God can do through that church on the corner of, it's, called, it's pronounced Kanigi Cemetery, if you're wondering how to pronounce it. They meet in that warehouse over there, and man, and, and, and how awesome that the Lord would use us. We get the privilege of serving him, of sharing the good news with others. The life-changing, has the gospel changed your life? Listen, if we really believe Jesus is who Jesus is and what he's done, it should radically affect the way I live my life. And if not, listen, this morning, if it hasn't radically affected the way you live your life, uh, you know what, can I just encourage you this morning, you need to, 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 to see if you're in the faith. To take a step back. Because it should radically transform our lives, the way we live life, the way we treat people, the way we treat our spouse, the way we treat our kids, the way we treat our parents, the way we do business, the way we handle our finances, the way we handle our time. It should radically change it. If I'm not moved and not compelled to live for Jesus, 
That's a problem this morning. And, and, and listen, let me, let me just rephrase that. Maybe you're saying, yeah, you know, I've just been struggling, I've backslidden, or whatever. Can I, can I encourage you to ask the Lord to search your heart this morning? Because our hearts can get hard, can't they? No one wants to admit it. I, I, okay, my heart can get hard. You know what I'm saying? Our hearts can be stolen. Do you know your heart can be stolen? Remember Absalom? You guys remember Absalom? Absalom stole the hearts of the people. That, you know what that tells me? My heart can be stolen. Oh, God, help guard my heart. I don't want it to get hard. I don't want to become lukewarm. Lukewarm makes Jesus puke. You ever thought about that? It's pretty gross. It's like, man, this should radically change the way I live my life. And by the way, when, when David prays that, search me, oh God, you know, test me, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. He's saying, when he says, search me, it speaks of search of the condition of the soil, is the idea, the soil of my heart. Because we can come in, can't we, in, and listen to a Bible study, and the seed of God's word is going out. You know what I'm talking about? And, and the first condition was what? The hard heart, Jesus said. It's been trampled down. There's been so much traffic in my heart that I don't even hear what the Lord says because it gets snatched away by the devil. Some of us, we hear the word and we're excited, aren't we? Yes. Wow, what a church. What a Bible study. Wow, this is my place. I'm plugged in. And then tomorrow at work, you get persecution for the word's sake and you, what? You fall away. We never see you again. into practice, their lives begin to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold in your life. And it's supernatural what happens because you've just been spending time with Jesus in his word. And it's glorious. And so it's a heart check this morning. And so Paul goes on. Are we going to finish this chapter this week? I think so. Look what he says. Check it out. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Just think about that phrase for a minute. Would you ever say that? Oh, yes, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. And then take it a little step, for, one step further. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I mean, we do rejoice in our sufferings, don't we? No. What about when you get your teeth pulled or you get your teeth, your grill fixed? A little suffering involved? You guys ever, anybody get their teeth ever worked on? You just, you got to get perfect grills. There's some suffering, isn't there? You're sitting in that chair and... Or, or, anybody work out? A little suffering involved? Who's it for, though? Oh, it's for you, honey. It's for you, so you can step in front of the mirror and check out your six-pack and your made-in-the-USA traps. Or you heard. <laughs> or your South Beach bod, whatever it's called. Where's Paul at when he's writing this? In chains, in prison. Yes. Hallelujah. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. I mean, he's happy, he's joyful. How do chains feel, by the way? Not, probably not too good. And he says, fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. So let me just break this down, because this is, one of the, this is kind of a tricky verse too. So Paul's like, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Being in prison, being in chains, what did it do to Paul? Paul was like, like the Energizer Bunny, wasn't he? Go, um, go, 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 plant churches, pastor churches, do that, correct? Amen. Now he's slowed down considerably, correct? Would you say he slowed down being in prison, in chains? Sometimes God has to slow us down. Sometimes he slows us down, doesn't he? But how do I view that? Paul was able to slow down and now write this letter to them to help them in their knowledge of Jesus, in who he is, to to combat the false teaching and the junk that was being promoted in Colossae. What a great, I mean, what a great perspective in sufferings and response to sufferings. Isn't it a great example for us? Because we go through sufferings. And in sufferings, you know what we typically do? We turn all inward. It's all about me. You know what I'm talking about? We sing the poor memes, want everyone to, you know, play the, whatever that instrument is, the, the fiddle. What a great example to make the most of our time for God's kingdom, even in our sufferings. And Paul says there was a filling up. There was a corresponding thing that's happening here. He says, in my flesh, the suffering that I've, it, that I've faced, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the fellowship of Christ's sufferings is the idea here. The afflictions of Christ, and by the way, that word afflictions is never used for the atonement. It's never used for Jesus' sufferings on the cross. That word, we get tribulation from, flipsis. It means to be compressed, to be hard-pressed, to, to go through a, a gnarly a situation. And so pressure is the idea And Paul says, I'm doing this, I'm going through this, these afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. And that word church means called out ones. And so, does Paul mean the work of Jesus on the cross was somehow incomplete? Is that what he's saying here? No way. Does Paul mean that it's our job now to fill up what Jesus didn't complete? No. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is is finished, paid in full. This verse is not saying um, that, that we can add something to Jesus' sacrifice at all. That's not what it's saying here. Remember when the Apostle Paul, he was traveling before he got saved. You guys remember he was traveling from Jerusalem northbound to Damascus. And who uh, stops him in his tracks? Jesus does. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Who had Paul been persecuting? The church, the believers, correct? Bringing pain and killing Christians, rounding them up. But when that happens, Jesus views that as what? Afflictions that he's going through is the idea. And so those who hate Jesus can no longer pluck out his beard or mock him. So who do they take it out on? You and I. Listen, don't consider it a crazy thing if you are hated. 
Why? Because we're in the world, but not of the world. The world will hate you if you're a believer. Jesus said it, didn't he? Did Jesus say it, you guys? He did. And so Paul embraced the suffering. Paul feels that when he's suffering, he's actually participating in the sufferings of Christ as well. There's a, there's a fellowship that is going on. And so Paul embraced the suffering. And, and I would say this morning, the gospel is often, um, is often presented in a special way through suffering, the way you and I respond to suffering. People watch, don't they? They see how we respond. There's a demonstration of his power in your life when you choose to, to abide in Jesus, to stay fresh and current with him in your suffering, to continue to keep your eyes upon him. And when people see your faith in the midst of that, it's powerful stuff. Let me just encourage you this morning. It's how powerful is it? Remember when Jesus was on the cross? Remember the thing, how he responded? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He prayed for those that hurt him and harassed him. He built a relationship, right? He was on the cross as he was suffering. He was building relationships, correct? Is that what he did with his mom and John? There was a building of relationships going on. And think about the hearts that were touched by the way that Jesus processed suffering. The thief on the cross right next to him began mocking him and then recognized there's something different about this dude. He's a king. I want to be part of his kingdom. Remember me, Lord. There's a transaction that happened in his heart. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Verily, verily, I say to to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're going to be with me in heaven. How about the centurion? Battle-hardened cat, right? Watching all of this, watching Jesus process suffering, all the things he went through. Imagine all the things that he had seen in his life, the centurion, in war and hurting people and harming others, and then all of a sudden watching the tenderness of Jesus as he went through suffering and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Listen, God uses our suffering, gang. And as a servant of Jesus Christ, sometimes we're going to take our lumps, our beatings. And it may ramp up in, this, in the United States. Our brothers and sisters around the world, they face their life is on the line every day, many of them. And, we, and for us, it's so easy just to throw it into cruise control, to be just ordinary. And sometimes we see a life that was extraordinary and say, wow, that was an extraordinary life, live for Jesus. That should be all of our lives. That should be every one of us. The same Holy Spirit's living in you as living in me. And all those that we look at and say, wow, what an extraordinary life for Jesus. What a life well lived. What a legacy. That should be all of us, every single one of us, my brothers and sisters. Paul says in verse 25, of which I became a minister. Same word for servant. I became a minister, a waiter, bringing food to the table. For who? For the church, for the sake of the church, which is his body. A stewardship, according to this, what's a stewardship? What's a steward? Is that a male flight attendant, a steward? Some of you will get that later. It's cool. You can't, you can't use that term anymore, can you, either? Sorry. Stewardesses and stewards. Listen, a steward is someone that takes care of something that doesn't belong to them. Every one of us here, guess what? You're a steward this morning. You're a steward of your life. What God has 
Everything you and I have is from God, steward of our resources, our time, talents, treasures, the gospel, the word of God. And one day we will be what? We will give an account for our stewardship, what we did with what's been entrusted to us. And Paul, in this case, for Paul, it was taking care of the church. He received the stewardship, what does it say? From God, given to me for you. Please notice that it wasn't to build up Paul's name, the Apostle Paul Ministries. It's for you. To bless you, to serve you, to pour into your life, to see you grow, to help you. And then notice also to fulfill the word of God. That's so beautiful, the word of God being fulfilled. And then he said, the mystery, when we see mystery, does that mean like Nancy Drew in the Bible? Or like, oh, you know, I heard about Sasquatch, it's quite a mystery. Is that what we're talking about here? What's a mystery? the, The verse defines it. Look what it says. The verse defines what a mystery is. Which has been hidden, something that's been concealed from man from ages and from generations. You know what that means? For a long, long time. Something hidden from man for a long, long time, but now, at this point, what? Has been revealed. It's been made known to who? To his saints. Who are the saints? Us. Those that are children of God. God reveals those that reveals these things, specifically a mystery, to those who belong to him. Why? Because now we have the Holy Spirit, right? The author is now taking residence in our hearts. And now we understand the Word of God and specifically this mystery that he's talking about. And by the way, can I just point something out? There are things that are part of God's program that were not revealed fully or clearly in the Old Testament. This is one of them. I would say the rapture of the church. We see glimmers, we see shades of it also. Fully taught in the New Testament. In fact, when you study the book of Revelation, it is the framework for all of those those loose prophecies and predictions that need to be coupled together and put together in the framework, the grid. It's so beautiful, God's word, isn't it, how it works together? So what's this mystery, man? I want to know what it is. What's the mystery? Look at the next verse. This is exciting stuff. Look what it says, 27. To them... Who's them? The saints, to us, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Are you on the edge of your seat? You ready? Among the Gentiles. What's the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One amen. That's cool. I'm totally down. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ coming and taking residence in you. He chose the closest possible place to get to. He's not next door. He's not on next door app. What what did he choose to do? He chooses to come and to live in our hearts. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up, I will come in to him and dine with him and him with me. How glorious is that? Jesus Christ in you and in me. Paul prayed, Ephesians chapter 3, I think it was. Remember what he prayed? He said that Christ would dwell 
in your hearts, that he, would, that he would be at home in your hearts. Is Jesus at home in your heart this morning? It's comfortable. It's glorious for him. He comes in with all his fullness. In other words, he comes in with all his stuff. Do you know that this morning? He comes in with all his stuff, all his fullness. He that is in, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. That's awesome. He's given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And now we have the absolute expectation of glory, the magnificence, the beauty, the splendor of heaven. You know what that means? That your life is in his hands. I, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because he's in you. That's the mystery hidden in the Old Testament. Now revealed. How glorious. And listen, that glorious good news was some, is something that should be an evangelism tool in our tool chest. Why? Paul said in Romans, when the Jews that have rejected Jesus look at our lives, it should make them jealous, the relationship that we have with the true and the living God, the one they missed out on. That our lives bring something, salt and light to a, to a dark world, a dying world, a flavorless world. Jesus said, you and you alone are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Well, this is glorious. And then Paul finishes. Can we finish it? Can we do it? Can we do it? Yeah, we can. I'm not going to ask for a response because second service people can wait. No. <laughs> Just two verses. Him we preach. Who's him? Paul saying, I preach me. I'm the hero of my own stories and examples. Him we preach. Jesus we preach. And it's continually. It's, it means literally exactly proclaim. It means to declare openly. It means to celebrate this word preach. It also means to talk about. Jesus we preach. Not ourselves, not a church, not a movement, not our opinions, not a denomination. We preach Jesus. Real easy, isn't it? Talk about Jesus. Not just that, warning every man and teaching every man in what? In all wisdom. Why? Why do you do this, Paul? What's the reason? That is a reason word that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul's like, Jesus, we preach. Hey, we warn every, he doesn't leave anybody out, does he? Warn means not only to caution, like last week, on last Sunday before our Bible study, I warned us about wolves, false teachings. Sometimes we warn. It means also to counsel. That word means to counsel. We're called to counsel one another, to admonish one another. It also means, that word means to place the mind, to place someone's mind mind in the right place, and that's to be on Jesus Christ. You know that this morning? When you give counsel, can I encourage you to point people to Jesus? He's the wonderful counselor. Teaching every man means to instruct, to explain, to share the truth and love. Proverbs 2.16, for the Lord himself gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Wisdom comes from the Lord. So you know what that means? Paul's counseling. He's preaching and teaching and warning. And what does he use? He uses the word of God. 
Do you see that this morning? Not Mad Magazine, not whatever. The Word of God. So that we can, that word present, same word it used earlier for Jesus presenting us before the Father, that we may stand beside every believer and present them. When you see perfect in Christ Jesus, it means mature, fully developed, not fully dependent upon the minister, fully dependent upon Jesus Christ. By the way, this is not just ministry 101 here. This is parenting 101. Oh, yeah, pastor, that's cool. That's for Paul. You know, he's A apostle, capital A, varsity team. I'm just a dad or a mom. This is parenting 101 right here to point our kids to Jesus, to be an example to our kids of Jesus. When we do blow it, we ask for forgiveness. I was wrong. Please pray for dad or mom. And we, why don't we warn them? We caution them, pointing them to Jesus, to the word of God. Teach them the word of God. Are you with me this morning? The Lord's made it simple. Just share the truth in love. And the Holy Spirit is working. Is the Holy Spirit working on the other end? Just sow the seeds. Just be a seed sower. Correct? The, the, the seed of God's word has the DNA to change the life. And Paul's goal here is to bring everybody to maturity. If we want to see our kids go to maturity, the word of God has to be essential. Number one. Correct? You guys still with me this morning? This is like the scope of his ministry is every man too. Did you see that? Every man, every man, every man. Not just the people we like or the people that we're comfortable with, but everybody. Everybody needs Jesus. Let me flip that around. Jesus is for everybody. Everybody needs him. Not just for a few elite. We all need Jesus, and he is for everybody. But don't miss this as we end. As he says, to this end. That's why I suffer. That's why I work. Labor means to the point of exhaustion. Striving. It's an athletic term. It means to struggle, to agonize. Notice what it says and what it comes down to. Why am I able to do what I do? I love this. Don't miss this. It's God's energy, his strength, literally efficiently empowering me. I'm working as hard as I can for the Lord, but it's his strength that's helping me to do it. That is so important this morning. Can I finish with two thoughts? I would say, number one, Paul's not lazy. Paul was not lazy. Aren't we learning that on Wednesday night in Proverbs? Remember what, what we're told, what the Lord told us, our Father? Look at the ant. The, the ant will preach a sermon to you. Look at how hardworking they are. Industrious, right? And then he talked about the sluggard. Remember the sluggard? The slug. You know what I mean by a slug? It's a lazy person. Man, we're going to learn about the sluggard. He, he's on his bed. It's like being on hinges. He turns back and forth. Don't wake me up. Wake up, sluggard, you slothful. And, and, and you know, here's what can happen to us. I don't know who you're talking to, Pastor. Not me, man. I work, I work 50, 60 hours a week, and I, you know, I, I bust it every, every day. And I'm not lazy. 
But the flip side of that is, what about spiritually? Oh, you're, you're a hard worker. Hallelujah. It is good, especially in the culture we live in, with a bunch of lazy folks, just to be totally blunt, man. Again, Michael Metter, wahoo.com. <laughs> but what about spiritually? It might be time to wake up. And then second thing is, is this just for the super saints this morning? Can I just encourage you this morning? God's power is available to every single one of us. Every single one of us. Because every single one of us that's put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he's living in our hearts. The greatest Christian that ever lived is living inside of you right now to help you to walk in these things, to do these things. And our job is to what? Is to trust, to yield, and say, okay, Lord, I'll walk in this. I'll do this. I'll open my mouth. I'll keep my mouth shut and listen. I will, Lord, I'll do whatever you're calling me to. And what's God going to do? He will supply the strength you need to do it. He gives us everything we need to be successful in what he's called us to do. The question is this morning, are we going to trust him and do it? And if we really believe who he is and what he's done, it will radically change our lives. And it will be worth it. Listen, it will be worth it eternally when you stand before him and are presented faultless before the Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you so much. God, what else can we say for all that you've done in, in rescuing us, forgiving us, giving us grace, giving us a fresh start, a second chance? How, how often you give us so many chances. You're so good. God, I pray for my precious brothers and sisters that as the word of God has gone out, Lord, that it would sink deeply into our hearts and take root. And that we would bear fruit upward for your glory. Wherever you have us, Lord, wherever you have us planted, wherever you lead our feet, we thank you that you're the one leading us. You're our good shepherd.